We're going to read Revelation chapter 9, read the whole chapter, and that is also our text this morning. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like woman's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before the Lord, before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice, 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates of breastplates, the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lions' heads and Fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by, by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind 
who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stones and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning we continue our series on the book of Revelation. Today, as I've mentioned, we will consider all of chapter 9. Last week we looked at the meaning of natural disasters in the light of the symbolism of the second part of Romans 8. And we saw that at least part of the reason for natural disasters is that they are God's judgments upon the unrepentant wicked. God is always willing to save sinners who repent and come to him for forgiveness. But the Bible makes it abundantly clear that those who refuse to acknowledge him as God and submit to his authority are under his wrath and that, and they experience judgments beginning in this life and culminating in eternity to come. The book of Revelation has a lot to say about God's judgment on the wicked because they are enemies of God, they are enemies of God's people, and God's plan, of, uh, God's plan for the salvation of his people includes his judgments on the enemies, his enemies, and the enemies of his people. Now, clearly God thinks that it is important for his people to think about this and to understand the reality of God's judgment upon the wicked from a number of different angles, because there is a lot about it in the Bible. Certainly, it's more pleasant to think about God's tender love for his people and his offer of salvation to sinners in the gospel, but Because of the reality of sin in the world, there is a lot that we need to think about and to understand that is not pleasant, but is necessary. And so today we tackle another chapter in this book that has a lot about the consequences of sin and the judgment of God upon those who who refuse to give it up. Chapter 9 deals with what happens when the fifth and the sixth angels blow their trumpets, and we'll cover both of those together. So when the fifth angel blows his trumpet, John sees a star, which symbolizes a demonic being, and likely uh, the devil himself. He's given a key. The passive verb, was given, is the standard way of making the point that God is allowing this to happen. The key was given to the devil by God. The key is to the shaft of the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit is the place of the demons. The fact that it is locked indicates that the demons are subject to God's control. Here God gives the devil the key to open the the shaft to the bottomless pit and Smoke pours out from the pit, and from the smoke comes locusts who are given the power of scorpions. The locusts with the power of scorpions are told not to harm the vegetation 
on the earth, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They are allowed to torment those people, but not to kill them. The time of torment is limited. The torment would be so bad that people will seek death and will not find it. The locusts are described in the next paragraph. They look like battle horses. They, it looks like they have crowns on their heads. They have human-like faces, hair like women's hair, teeth like lion's teeth, breastplates that look like iron breastplates. They have wings that make a huge noise like that of chariots and horses in battle and (coughs) tails like that of scorpions who can sting and hurt people for five months. And their leader was the angel of the bottomless pit whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and whose name in Greek is Apollyon. The uh, locusts are not allowed to kill, but only to torment. Then we have the sixth angel blowing his trumpet. Four angels are released to kill a third of mankind. They are associated with a huge army, 10,000 times 10,000 troops mounted on horses. The horses wear breastplates of the, the color of fire and Sulfur, a sapphire and sulfur, the heads of the horses look like lions' heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur comes out of their mouths, and a third of mankind was killed by these plagues. And then we have that comment about the ungodly people who survive these plagues. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Neither did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So there is a lot of suffering or there is a lot of dying of people who refuse to repent and turn to the Lord. They could have repented, but they refused. They could have turned to the Lord in their suffering, but they did not. Now let's look at the first, first at the locusts of the first section. God allows them out of the bottomless pit, but they torment the people of their own volition. The king who is over them is Abaddon or Apollyon, who is the devil. These are demonic enemies of God who are tormenting human enemies of God. The people of God are not tormented here, only those who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. Notice that God protects his people. They have the seal of God on their forehead, but he does not protect those who do not have that seal And he allows the shaft of the bottomless pit to be opened and the demonic forces are released to do what they do, which is hurt people and torment people. And this shows us something very important about the forces of evil and about evil itself. There is no love. It is driven by hatred. Unrepentant sinners are on the side of the devil against God, but the devil 
and their and the hordes, his hordes, they torment their own followers. As soon as they are released from the bottomless pit, they torment their own. They torture them. The people are in such agony that they want to die, but they can't find death. So when does this happen, and how does it correspond to our world? The picture in verse 1 of a star fallen from heaven to earth corresponds with Jesus' sayings in the Gospels about the devil being cast out of heaven in connection with his death and the spread of the Gospel. In Luke 18, and Luke 10, 18, after the 72 disciples return, from preaching the kingdom of God, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In John 12, 30, in connection with his upcoming death on the cross, he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. In Revelation 1, 18, the risen and ascended Jesus Christ says, I have the keys of death and of Hades. Connection with the death of Christ and the spread of the gospel, Satan is losing his power because the gospel is going forth to release people from his slavery. But at the same time, Satan is still allowed to be active on the earth. And our text shows us one of the things that he is allowed to do, and that is torment those who refuse the gospel. Jesus, on the basis of his death and resurrection, has the key of death and Hades. And here in Revelation chapter 9, we see that he gives the devil and the demons permission to torment those who refuse the gospel and persist in their rebellion against God. And this helps us to see the misery that is the result of sin. The symbolic picture of the demonic locust tormenting the unbelieving world interprets for us the spiritual reality that is behind the suffering that is the result of living in sin. The demonic world encourages sin among human beings, and that sin leads to suffering, to torment. This picture, this passage is showing us in symbolic form how the demonic encourages sin, and sin by its very nature brings torment. William Hendrickson puts it like this in his commentary. He says, under the symbolism of a locust plague, John describes the power the powers and influences of hell operating in the hearts and lives of wicked men. Can you conceive of a more frightful and horrible and true picture of the operation of the powers of darkness in the souls of the wicked during this present age? That's the end of the quote of Hendrickson. But here's one from another commentator, Steve Wilmhurst writes, Satan's hordes are at work across the earth, destroying people's lives, inciting them to commit appalling crimes against one another, making life utterly miserable for millions, 
holding them captive in false religions, end quote. Notice the name of the king of these demons. Verse 11 says that the the name in Hebrew is Abaddon and the name in Greek is Apollyon. And the footnote in the ESV tells us that Abaddon means destruction and Apollyon means destroyer. So Satan has nothing to do with building up. He is all about destruction. The meaning of what happens when the sixth angel blows his trumpet is similar, except now the focus is more on the suffering that is the result of war. John sees a vast army uh, mounted on horses. The vast army is also satanic. The four angels that are released at the blowing of the trumpet had been bound indicating that they are evil angels. The imagery of the horses with lion's heads and fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths indicates that these are forces of evil. This is a picture of warfare. Millions upon millions of people killed in the wars that have been almost a constant in human history. This passage is telling us that Satan is behind these wars and that Jesus Christ allows him to do so as his judgment upon those who seek, who refuse to repent. So what happens when the fifth and the sixth angels blow their trumpets is that Satan and his followers are allowed to cause horrific suffering in the world by encouraging sin in the lives of the unrepentant wicked. War is caused by pride and greed and hatred. But then there is also the suffering that comes in so many other ways because of sinful lifestyles of those who refuse to submit to the authority of God and to receive his salvation in Jesus Christ. Think of how much suffering in our society is the result of people rejecting God's way of human flourishing. That is laid out in his words. Think of the sexual revelation, a revolution that is such a dominant theme in our world. Lots of short-term pleasure at the cost of long-term pain. People using one another for their sexual gratification, the Emptiness, the brokenness that results, superficial relationships, sexually transmitted diseases, broken families, millions of people with dead hearts and seared consciences. Think of the pain caused by addictions, by greed, by cruelty, by injustice and oppression. Think of the pain caused by selfishness and pride. Think of the pain caused by a lack of self-control, a lack of self-discipline. Think of pain caused by workaholism or by self-indulgence or by loneliness that results from broken relationships, by hatred, by living for pleasure. Think of the suffering that result, that is the result of people denying God's law and living according to their own desires. Think of all the suffering that is the result of false religions. This is the torment that the passage is speaking about. Warfare 
And the killing that goes on all around the world is to be understood in the light of what happens when the sixth angel blows his trumpet. One of the ways that God judges those who refuse to repent is to give the destroyer and his hordes permission to cultivate and to encourage wickedness among those who dwell on earth, among those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads, so that they experience the torment that is the natural result of sin. There are so many people in this world whose lives are unbearable. Think of the suicide rate. Think of the multitudes whose lives are filled with pain because of their own sins and the sins of others. Think of of those whose lives are empty and pointless. Think of those who are tormented with their guilt or with rejection or with hopelessness. This passage shows us what is going on in the invisible world. It shows us the role of the destroyer and his demons, and it shows us how God is taking away restraint, and that is his judgment upon those who refuse his grace and his authority. It's significant that the demons are allowed to torment only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They are not allowed to torment those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Those who have the seal of God on their foreheads are the people of God. They are those who have been saved by grace. They have There are those who have believed in Jesus and have repented from their sins, those who have been set free from the power of the devil. According to Colossians 1, 13 and 14, Christians have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. When Jesus sent Paul to preach the gospel, he told him that through the gospel he would, quote, open the eyes of people so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God's. It's not to say that believers are completely free from any satanic influence, but it is to say that they are no longer under his dominion, and to the extent that they are no longer under his dominion, they do not experience the torments that are the result of living in sin. It's clear enough from our own experience that we still suffer because of remaining sin in our lives, but we are spared a great deal of suffering and experience a great deal of blessedness and well-being because of the power of Christ working in us to enable us to live the lives of obedience. The point of this passage that we're looking at is that one of the way that one of the ways that God judges unbelief and impenitence is by giving Satan and his demons permission to encourage more sin in the wicked so that they experience the torment that is the natural result of rejecting the law of God. And that gives us an incredibly significant insight into what is going on in our world today. 
We think of the decline of our culture over the last 50 to 100 years. Now, there was never a time when the dynamics of this passage were not going on, but it has been our experience that things have gotten a lot worse in our lifetime, in our culture. There's ebb and flow in history. There are periods and places when Christianity has had significant influence, and there are periods and places where things go from bad to worse as far as wickedness is concerned. However, our time relates to other times. There's no doubt that we are living in a time when the natural outworking of rebellion against God is very obvious. The truth of this passage has been operating throughout history, and it's very obvious that it is operating in our world today. The same truth is expressed in Romans 1, without reference to the demonic, but Romans 1.18 says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Verse 21 there says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And then verses 24 and 25, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What Revelation 9 adds to this picture is the role of the demonic and the resulting torment that is the natural result of wickedness. Both Romans 9 and Rome, uh, Revelation 9 and Romans 1 emphasize the point that the growth in wickedness and the resulting torment happens as God's judgment, which releases restraint. In Romans 1, God gives the wicked over to more wickedness. In Revelation 9, God allows the shaft of the bottomless pit to be opened. One of the truths implied here is that in times and places where the unbelieving world is able to function with some degree of order and peace and prosperity, it is because God is restraining evil and satanic influence. And then at other times, as his judgment upon wickedness, he loosens that restraint. And to the degree that that restraint is loosened, wickedness abounds, and the natural torments that are the result of wickedness are experienced in all manner of pain and suffering. This is a powerful demonstration of the terrible nature of sin and evil. Sin promises pleasure, and it delivers short-term pleasure, but its natural result is torment and terrible suffering. Sin results in conflict and separation between people. 
It results in cruelty and violence. It results in all kinds of psychological pain and guilt and turmoil and emptiness. It is dehumanizing. It is destructive. It leads to unbelievable suffering and torment. And that is already in this life. The suffering that is the result, the natural result of sin is that is experienced in the here and now is just a foretaste of the suffering that will result when all restraint is removed after the final judgment. It's significant that the moment God allows the shaft of the bottomless pit to be opened, the hordes of hell pour out like smoke from a great furnace and become like a plague of locusts that descends upon the wicked to torment them. The unrepentant wicked are on the side of the demonic against God, but the hordes of hell show no love for their own. They are incapable of love. They are separated from the source of love who is God, and so all of their energies are directed to tormenting their fellow members of the domain of darkness. Any degree of caring and love among the wicked, unrepentant sinners is the result of God's common grace. But when that is removed, the logic of sin takes over and all that is left is hatred. And so the wicked torment one another. We see that, we see in the tormenting by the hordes of the bottomless pit, what we see is the nature of evil, the complete absence of love, pure hatred. The only way of such beings, human or uh, spiritual, to relate to another, to one another, is by tormenting one another. Now, this passage is part of the book of Revelation, which is given to the church for its comfort and encouragement and profit. This belongs to the victory that Jesus has won by his death, by his life, death, and resurrection. Trumpets five and six are blown in response to the prayers of God's people. What happens here, what's going on here in the book of Revelation is still related to the cries of those who are recorded in chapter 6, the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne who cried with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Our great desire as Christians, is that people would hear the good news and repent and turn to the Lord. And in that, we are reflecting the character of God. We have no desire for the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn and be saved. We are being conformed to the image of God, and God sent Jesus because of his love for the world, and God is holding off the day of judgment because he does not wish that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But all do not repent. And those who do not repent are enemies of God and of his people. They persecute 
the people of God. They promote sin and evil in the world. And the victory that Jesus has won includes God's judgment upon the wicked who refuse to be reconciled to God. This passage that we have looked at this morning is here to strengthen our hearts. Our hearts are strengthened. It strengthens our hearts rather by demonstrating so clearly how wrong the world is in its celebration of evil and how right the Bible is in its teaching about God and the blessedness of being delivered from sin and evil through salvation in Jesus Christ. Jesus died to break the power of evil in our lives. He died that we might live by living in a loving relationship with God and following him in living a life of obedience and love. To be truly alive is to live in fellowship with God and to reflect his character in our lives. The whole biblical story teaches us that the way of living for God is the way of life and blessing. And this passage shows us the dark side of reality. This passage demonstrates that the way of sin is the way of torment. It demonstrates the hatred of Satan and his demons who torment their own followers. This passage shows us the lie of Satan and all temptations to sin. There's something outwardly attractive about sin. There's often some short-term pleasure, but the natural end of it is brokenness and suffering and torment. This passage shows us that even though there is suffering involved in following Jesus, that is, there is a spiritual battle to be fought, there is suffering, there is persecution, at least at some level, to be endured, In some cases, there is even martyrdom. That suffering, the suffering of Christians, is consistent with joy and peace and hope of eternal life. The suffering of the unrepentant wicked is completely different. There may be short-term pleasure, but the logical end of it is torment, hatred, loneliness, and hopelessness. And so we are encouraged to endure. Revelation fourteen twelve says, here is a call for endurance for the saints, for those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus Christ. One of the ways that we are strengthened to endure is to see the truth about sin and the inseparable relationship between sin and torment. There is also the encouragement and strengthening that comes from knowledge. It's common for us to feel overwhelmed with what is going on in our world. We see the increase of evil in our society and, and people ask things like, what is this world coming to? Or they say, I couldn't even imagine what's going on today. I couldn't even imagine that 10 years ago. There is so much momentum in the wrong direction. And we're seeing the disintegration of our culture going on before our eyes, and we wonder how it's all going to end. 
And this passage shows us some of what's going on behind the scenes. In the domain beyond our sense experience, the spiritual domain, we are seeing the judgment of God upon the wicked. Every step towards greater evil is due to the fact that God gives the hordes of hell more freedom to torment their own followers. That's not reason for us to gloat. There is a profound sadness in it. And we are called as a church to seek to alleviate the suffering, also the suffering caused by sin. But at the same time, it is part of Christ's victory over sin and evil. It is part of God's plan for the overthrow of evil. And part of that picture is that sin is its own punishment. God shows us the hopelessness and the destructiveness of evil so that we might understand more profoundly the goodness of the good and the connection between God and blessing. We do not have to be dismayed and unsettled by the growth of evil in our world because we know what's going on behind the scenes in the spiritual realm. God is calling us to live through these times, but he's telling us what's really going on so that we will be strong, knowing that it is all part of his plan. And he is telling us what is going on so that we can live with confidence and thankfulness, having a fuller understanding of the horror of what we are saved from and the blessedness of being delivered from the devastating destructiveness of evil. So let us see sin for what it is. Its end is torment and death. Let us see salvation from sin for what it is. Freedom from the curse and the gift of life and blessing and wholeness and flourishing. Let us endure the battle strengthened by the truth. And let us praise God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit for the plan they are implementing, which leads to the new heavens and the new earth. Let's pray. Our great God, in this passage, you have shown us something of the great evil of sin, something of your judgment upon those who refuse to submit to you. Lord, we thank you for the broader context, which has so much to say about your love in sending your Son so that many might be spared your judgments. We thank you that Jesus Christ has suffered the judgment, your judgment against sin, so that we might be delivered from it, and that the gospel is, goes forth into all the world with that wonderful message. But Lord, you also tell us that not everyone will believe. Not everyone will repent, and you tell us what will happen to them. Lord, we pray that you would use this passage to help us to, to understand in, with greater depth the evil of evil, the hopelessness of sin, and in that light, the wonder of salvation, the wonder of the truth and the great blessedness that belongs to living by your grace according to your word. Lord, use also this passage to encourage us 
in that fight and when we are called to suffer, Lord, that we may do so with the, with the hope of the gospel, that we may do so in the light of the truth of your love uh, for your people and your care for them and all the wonderful truths that you teach throughout your word about your people. Lord, grant that we may just draw closer to you and have a deeper uh, understanding of the wonder of your grace in the light of your wrath and the reality of the darkness of sin. In Jesus' name, amen.